Well, good morning. Uh, it's great to be here with you if you're a guest. I'm uh, really glad that you're here with us this morning. My name is Nathan Hinkle. I'm the campus pastor at our Ross Township location. Um, and I'm really excited to be here with you. This is the first time I've been here at our Coleraine location uh, since we made the announcement that Rick Schonkweiler, who is the senior pastor here, he's retiring uh, next May. And, and I have been asked to take that role here um, starting March 1st, or sometime in March, I don't know. It's, uh, I'll, I'll just, you know, when it happens, it happens. Um, that I will take the role as senior, senior pastor here. And so I'm excited about that to be just in front of you today, um, just for the first time since we've, we've talked about that, to tell you how, how excited I am to be on this mission with you and look forward to uh, White Oak's continued impact. Um, you, you know, as we always have, um, we're going to take risks together. Uh, We're going to fail at some things together, and we're going to see God do some amazing things even beyond what we could ask or imagine in the coming years. And and I'm excited to to lead with you in that and follow God where he's taken us. It's going to be exciting. So um, 2020 is going to be a lot of fun, right? And and look forward to that. Um, I want to thank the Kelly family for lighting our our Advent candle uh, today, our second week of Advent. Uh, the, The word that the second week of Advent focuses on is peace. And if you didn't know, the word Advent is Latin, it comes from the Latin term, which means coming. And so as followers of Jesus, we celebrate the Advent season um, and the coming of Jesus Christ, who has rescued us from sin. So last week, we kicked off, uh, kicked off our series, Christmas, uh, Before and After. And uh, like Kevin was up here last week, and he talked about, um, like on social media, we have that 10-year challenge that's been happening. If you don't know what that is, I think he has some pictures um, that, that you kind of put a picture up on social media of what you looked like. It was you or your family in 2009, and then kind of uh, what you look like now in 2019. And people are having a lot of fun doing that. And the truth is, we, we really all enjoy that. I mean, we all enjoy kind of the before and after shots to see how people have changed, um, how far maybe we've come, what's different. And that's really fun um, to do that, you know, whether it's a home renovation or, or, or a picture of yourself. Uh, what's also true, it would be really cool, is if we could do that same thing with our faith. I mean, I, you know, all of us here this morning know kind of what our current picture of our faith looks like. We could describe it. Now, we could say we feel distant, maybe, from our faith. We could say that we're a churchgoer, and whatever that means, however often you come. You could say that you're very religious, or maybe you could adamantly admit that you are not, that you're not a churchgoer, and and you're not religious. Maybe you grew up going to church, knowing Jesus. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time. Maybe faith is something that's very new for you, but all of us could, could paint a picture and describe kind of where we are now. But what if someone could do this for us? What if someone could pull back the curtain and like turn on the light and let us see a glimpse of our faith life, all right, years from now down the road? Now that would be an interesting thing to be able to see forward what our faith looks like. As we have taken, or not, deeper steps of trust in our Heavenly Father, wouldn't it be crazy to be able to see what that looks like 10 years from now? As you or I surrender more of our lives to Jesus, to see what that would look like, to see what we will have experienced, 
That would be an amazing thing. And if we could know what that impact of that faith has had and know for, with certainty that our Heavenly Father is really, really good, that is love, that, that is secure, um, that, that we would know those things to be true, that he has more for us than what we've been settling for, in various areas of our lives, if we could have a 10-year picture and look ahead and see where we would be, we would approach this season. In fact, it, would be, it might be so incredible. We would approach every season after this one with a new confident light, wouldn't we? That would be a fun thing. Well, here's what we're going to really, what we're aiming at today. I encourage you to write this down in your program, and you were received when you came in. There's a place there at the very top. Write this one down, because this is where we're driving toward today. Put your trust in the one who delivers. Put your trust in the one who delivers. We're going to start out our time this morning going back into um, the Old Testament of the Bible, to the prophet Isaiah. And what this does, when we go back to the prophet Isaiah, we're going back 700 years into Israel's before story, all right? A 700-year glance, glance backward at, at Israel's story. When Isaiah is prophesying and, and speaking to God's people, this is happening 700 years before Jesus is even born, okay? And Isaiah is speaking to God's people for about a 60-year span. What's happening in that time, just to give you some quick context, is the northern kingdom of Israel has been conquered by the Assyrian army. And so those people are in captivity and under the rule of the Assyrians. But Isaiah is speaking to the southern kingdom of Judah. And what he, they have evaded being captured by Assyria, but what Isaiah is sharing with the people of Judah, God's people there, is that there is a time coming for them when they will be held captive by the Babylonians and taken into captivity. It's coming when they too will be conquered. And, and, and as, Isaiah, as Isaiah speaks to them about repenting and about trusting the Lord... He talks to them about a time when they will be delivered from captivity, when they will get to return to their homeland. And he speaks of a time that's even better than that, of a time when their very souls will receive deliverance too. So we're going to start uh, this morning in Isaiah chapter 9, and if you don't have a Bible, um, we have them at the hub for you, so as you leave here today, you can grab a Bible, they're free, we just want to get that in your hands, but um, go ahead and open up to Isaiah chapter 9, or bring up, if you've got an app on your phone, if you don't, I'd love to share with you the one that I use and many of us use, it's a great tool, um, but we're going to be Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to start with verse 1, this is what he says he says, nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali and what uh, many believe when, when Isaiah mentions these two tribal groups and the land that they, that they live in, he's really naming them, but he's talking about all of the northern kingdom that's already been conquered, okay? He says, there's a time coming when Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled and there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles talking about this same general geographical area under a different, under Gentile rule, under Assyrian rule, okay? Which lies along the road and runs between the Jordan and the sea. There's a time coming when that area and those people will be filled 
with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a, in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. In verse 6, he says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end, and he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Now, one of the things that's exciting for us and if you didn't know this, I'll, you'll, you'll know it now because I'll tell you, is that we know now that he's talking about Jesus ultimately, the one who will deliver Israel from the bondage of sin, right? But then, when they, when, then they didn't know that. They didn't know that that's who Isaiah was talking about. It would be a, wait, a, wait, a game of waiting for 700 years, now, the author of, of the, the book, and one of the authors of the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament says this in chapter 13. He says that a hope deferred makes the heart sick. So this deliverance or this hope deferred, delayed, put off, it just leaves us wanting, doesn't it? And, and I wonder... Is that what Isaiah means when he says there's a people wandering in this darkness, this land of deep darkness and despair, if that's really what he's driving at? And I wonder if that's um, how you see your own life, as a place of deep darkness, that you're, you're just in a place of despair. Is that how you see your life? Some of us probably would say yes. Like you feel the weight of that. That you're, you're in a dark place and you came here this morning with that burden. There's someone that when we come to the holiday season that you're reminded is not with us anymore. There's some fractured family relationships that, again, the holidays just kind of highlight your broken, screwed up family. There's issues that when you walk into work and, and, the, and the feeling you have in the pit of your stomach when you're walking in that just says, man, this is a dark place. I can't stand my boss or coworkers. There's problems you have at school and the stress that you have at school or in sports or with friendships with, with people at school. That's dark. You might even call it despair. Maybe you feel lonely. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you feel a distance from God. You would describe perhaps the season that you're in right now as you just don't feel real close to God. Those are some dark places. Maybe you're coming out of a dark season. Maybe you recognize that you've been in a season that's been really just dark for you. Or maybe you don't recognize it or you don't know it yet, but, but maybe you're heading into a dark season tomorrow or next week or next month. And some of us, I would venture to guess, in this room, we hear all of that, and we say, you know what, actually, I'm not really feeling like my life is like this land of darkness or this deep despair. I mean, I understand that life kind of has its ups and downs, and, and my life's not perfect, and yeah, I, think, I wish things were better here, here, or there, but really, like, my job's good, family's okay, things are going pretty well for me, so I'm not sure that this resonates. Okay. 
But more than 700 years later, after Isaiah will, will write what he says about this deliverer, this, this darkness that you and I are, may be in, um, John sits down to write his narrative of Jesus' life. Okay? Hundreds of years later, John, who, who, who was eyewitness to Jesus' execution, he was there at the cross, one of the first eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection. When John sits down to write his narrative of Jesus' life, John uses the same language of darkness and, and light. All right, so we're going to flip over to the, to the New Testament, to the book of John, all right? And, and we're going to pick up right there in John chapter 1, verse 1, okay? This is what he says. He says, in the beginning, the Word, referencing Jesus, already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, there it is, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So what I recognize, I think what we might recognize here is that we have at least kind of an approximate 3,000 years from like where Isaiah talked about it till, till now, all right, of this verbiage convincing us that we've been in the dark, that we've been in this land of deep darkness. Earlier this summer, um, I, I took a trip with my boys. I have t- two boys, and, and, and my daughter's the youngest. But I um, kind of had this tradition now, this is like maybe the third or fourth year, that at the beginning of summer, we go on a day hike somewhere. And we were at Clifty Falls State Park in Indiana um, um, back in June. And I, I said to the last hour, I, I'm going to speak this message at Ross next week, where my family will be present. And since my boys don't have a habit of listening to dad's recorded messages online, like all of you do, um, I'm going to tell you a secret. I actually take them on this hike annually because that's where we have, like, the talk. Do you know what I'm saying? All right? So we have this talk um, about stuff, all right, that young men need to hear. And, and so instead of the cop-out where you just talk about it when you're driving in the car where you don't have to make eye contact, I, we're walking on a trail, and I'm behind them. And I have the talk where we don't have to make eye contact. So it works out great. I can send you my script. Um, we ha- it's updated every year, but, um, but I'll send you my script because it's a blast. And, and honestly, I don't know how they never see it coming anymore. But every year we go on a hike and I'm like, oh, gosh, you know, but like, this is the third time, guys. All right. So anyway, um, We've been, so we're, we're, we're on this hike, and uh, we, come to, we come to this trail, maybe you've been on it, where there's this, this fairly long tunnel, all right? And the boys want to jump and go, you can go around it, but of course they go in. So um, one of the problems, like, I had se- several things that made it tricky to navigate through this dark tunnel on this trail was, um, it was maybe like five or six feet like tall, like inside, so you're kind of like, you know, one of these as you're going through it. Um, you couldn't see from one end of the tunnel to the other, right? So I didn't know how long it was. I didn't know if like you'd get there and there'd be a wall, then you have to come back. But like my older son was already like 10 minutes ahead. So like, all right, we're going. Um, so all I had was my flashlight on my stupid phone, right? Which you know illuminates about like 36 inches ahead of you. 
and, and that's about it. So that's all I had. So there was kind of like this trepidation as you're walking through this cave of these outcroppings or this like, you know, the elevation rising or, or like this puddle that you would inevitably step in, you know, shin deep. But so we're just kind of making this, you know, my, my middle son, Peter, and I are just kind of walking slowly navigating through this space in the relative uh, darkness, not knowing when we're going to trip, hit our head, or step in a puddle. Um, so we, but we made our way through, fumbling through the dark. It was fine. It was fun. We got out of there. And on our way back, the, the boys are like, man, we want to go through the tunnel on our way back, too. I'm like, no, like, we survived once. Let's not tempt fate. We're fine. Um, but when the, when the authors, like, you know, like when Isaiah or John or Jesus himself, when they reference darkness in the Bible, in God's word, when they reference darkness, they're, they're referencing and speaking to something profoundly more dangerous than this cave. There are three things that come to mind, and I encourage you to write these down because I, cause I, cause I hope, what, what I pray is that this opens our minds and our hearts to the things that are happening around us so that you and I can more freely grasp at that abundant life that Jesus offers you and me. And when the Bible speaks of darkness and speaks of it in, in kind of a threefold um, uh, you know, narrative, the first one is it speaks of evil. Evil. That whether you and I want to admit it or not, or whether right now where we are in our faith journey, we, we call it this, there is a spiritual war going on for your heart and mine. Someone wants you to fail at following God, and it's Satan. We don't talk about that a whole lot. But when we look at the life of Jesus, as soon as he began his ministry, Satan appears and tries to lie and distract him by, by getting him to question his identity as a son of God, and in the faithfulness of God himself. Satan's immediately attacking Jesus. Paul, when he writes to the Ephesians, to the Christians in Ephesus, um, years later, Paul will remind them that they are in a spiritual battle against spiritual forces, against evil. So if Jesus and the early church is in this conflict with the evil one, you and I better be assured that we are too. So when the, dark, when, when the Bible talks about darkness, it's talking about evil. Our Heavenly Father wants you and I to experience abundant life with a really good Father in heaven. But we also know that there is a Father of lies, as the Bible calls him. And he's a liar. And that he wants to trick you and steal away every good gift that the Father gives to you. And he lies with simple things. Things like your kids are fine, your grandkids are fine, wherever they know, wherever they are with God right now or in their relationship with Jesus, it's good. You're religious enough. You're a good person. At the end of the day, as long as you feel like you're a good person, that's all that really matters. It's just simple things that actually, honestly, sometimes sound good that the father of lies will feed us. He'll say to us things like this. What will happen to our hearts is we'll start to begin to believe that this gathering of, of, of God's people, that the church really exists primarily to serve your desire or your needs or your preferences. 
Just little lies. Lies that question, does God really care about you? I mean, really? Is he really good? Does he really have good things in store for you? Does he really love you? We have an enemy, and it's evil. Have you ever heard the phrase, um, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy? It's tricky. But he hates you. And he wants you to fail. And you and I, we must have a keen awareness of the enemy we face. Because many of us are in a dark place. That leads me to the second time. When the Bible talks about evil, e- darkness, it talks about evil. But when, the, when, when Isaiah and John and Jesus and others talk about darkness, they're also talking about ignorance. They're also talking about ignorance, okay? Which is you and I being unaware of the battle that we're really in. And sometimes we, we don't give the devil enough credit, do we, in our lives? We really don't. We think, well, it's just kind of this mystical idea, you know, this fairy tale thing that there's this pitchfork and the guy with, with horns, right? But we don't give him enough credit for, for the evil and the power that he speaks into our lives. And so what that, that does is it gives you and I this false sense of strength. Because if we're really not in a battle, we have this false sense of, okay, I'm good, right? And so we can convince ourselves that, well, you know, that, that's just sex, I can handle that. Or that's just, that's just the way I feel, bitter, resentful. That's just feelings. That's fine. Right? Or, or, or I'm just a little bit selfish. I'm just a little bit selfish, but after all, it's my money that I worked hard for anyway, or it's my time that I have, and it's so precious. Right? Just a little religion is enough. Right? Just a little bit. Like, the, the commitments I've made to my religion is enough right now. And I can handle that. And it's good. I can handle this tough time that I'm in. I can handle it alone. So can you. And why do we think those things? Because sometimes we're ignorant of the battle that we're actually in. On... D-Day, thousands of brave men stormed the beaches in Normandy, France to begin to set truly the globe free, right? Um, there's a story that I read this summer of what happened a few days before D-Day, where many thousands of brave paratroopers, para, uh, landed into the countryside in France in order to cut off Nazi reinforcements to the coast. There is this account where one private talks about something that he found in some of the paratroopers as they were to be engaging the enemy. Listen to what he says. It says, Too many had hunkered down in hedgerows to await the dawn, A few had even gone to sleep. Then the writer says, Private Francis Pallas of the 506th 
saw what was perhaps the worst dereliction of duty. He had gathered, gathered a squad near Vierville, and he says, hearing all kinds of noise and singing from a distance, he and his men sneaked up on the farmhouse. In it was a mixed group of both American divisions. The paratroopers had found liquor in the cellar, and they were drunker than a bunch of hillbillies on a Saturday night wingding. Unbelievable. So you and I can't find a, we can't fight a battle or an enemy that we don't think exists. And we have a powerful enemy that wants to destroy you. And what happens is we find many of us not ready to fight a battle because we are ignorant that it's even happening. For your heart, for the heart of your kids, the heart of your grandchildren, your friends. Whether purposefully or naively unaware of the surrounding darkness that is after us. And if you think, listen, if you, if you and I ever get to a place where we think, because this is where we get in, in American Christian culture, if you and I ever believe that the battle that we're really facing is just between our weekly busyness and school and work and schedules and, 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 and relationships that are difficult, and if we really believe that the battle is only between all of these things that we've got juggling in life and, gee, I really should be kind of more involved in my relationship with God, if you and I believe that that's the only battle that we face, then we are dangerously and ignorantly mistaken. See, what the enemy says to the ignorant is, I'm not here. It's just you. And it's a very, very dark place indeed when we believe just that. The third thing, you know, when the Bible, I think, you know, when Isaiah or John or Jesus or others reference darkness and that, you know, we're in this land of dark, you know, deep despair or deep darkness, it's talking, they're talking about evil, they're talking about ignorance, and and they're also referring to self-reliance. That we have the strength within us to find the answer to the brokenness that exists in our lives. Right? In other words, we have the light from within ourselves to make our way towards the abundant life that God's promised us. And many of us will try really, really hard at kind of hacking our way through life to find it. Listen to what Isaiah says in chapter 8. It's just before what I read earlier. On chapter 8, just above it, right, in verse 20. It says, Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. 22. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And many of us, many of us, many of us who are followers of Jesus, are wandering in self-reliance. Believing that our money or our retirement or our sexuality or our, however we define success or our religion, 
We have a self-reliance convincing ourselves that we are okay. And we just chase after those things. And teenagers, if if you're in the room today, my heart just really breaks for you. Because I have a feeling you have few adults in your life who are showing you how to respond to this darkness. And whether intentionally or otherwise, some of the adults in your life, not all of them, but some of them will tell you that the way that you keep this darkness at bay is to just work harder, get better grades, be in a relationship, be good, be better. And at the same time, what they are modeling for you on how you deal with these dark places is through alcohol and anger and busyness and just pretending that the darkness isn't even there at all. You know, adults, parents in the room, children don't ever have to be taught to be afraid of the dark. They just naturally are. But as adults, we kind of just find a way to live in it, don't we? And we just get used to it. In our ignorance, in our self-reliance, and in our shame. Satan's lines to the self-reliant are similar to what he says to the ignorant. And he, that is, you're fine. You're fine. You're good. Or, your heart is bad, and you know it. There's nothing you can do about it, except just to remain in this dark place. See, it turns out, after all of that, that Isaiah and John and God, they were right. All of us. All of us come from a dark place. But that was before. That was before. Because if you remember what John says in John chapter 1, going back there, listen to what he says. Jesus, the word, remember, he gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. Everyone. No exception. Everyone feels the warmth and the brightness of the light. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Church, listen. Listen, this is what John said to people who have been waiting 700 years and longer. And that is, flip on the switch, people. Jesus is here. And if you don't recognize and trust that light, the only source of light available to you, if you don't flip on that switch, you're going to miss it. 
See, what people, what we often want as people who oftentimes find ourselves groping around in darkness, what we often want is just, sometimes as we pray, we just say, God, could you just take this away? Could you just deliver me from this thing or this feeling or this circumstance? But listen, we don't need delivered from anything. We need a savior. We don't need deliverance. We need to be saved. You don't need to be delivered. You, listen, you and I don't need to be delivered from our dark places because here's the truth about you. If, it's, if, if I'm any, any indication of your heart, because I will instinctively find myself back in the dark corners and the dark tunnels saying, thank God I made it out. And now when I turn around and come back, I'm probably going to go through the tunnel again. We don't need deliverance. We need saved. Do you understand that? No matter where you are in your faith journey this morning, no matter what you believe about Jesus or how long you've known him, there's some darkness you need delivered from and you need saved from. There's evil that wants to make you fail. I'm telling you this right now. For some of you, they're, they're actually for all of us, there is an evil that wants you to fail. And they want your kids to fail. And they want your grandkids to fail. And it's a powerful force. There is an ignorance that we all suffer from. Okay, church? There's an ignorance that we all suffer from. And it has allowed us to stall out spiritually. Maybe not now, Though probably, or certainly in the future, maybe in your past, but there's an ignorance that will allow you to stall out where you are spiritually, where you're not taking steps of trust, where you're not taking, going to deeper places of surrender to our Heavenly Father, and you're just comfortable, and you haven't moved in a long, long time. There's, a, there's an evil, there's a darkness of self-reliance that each and every one of us suffers from. And if you don't know this or not, I think you do. You will always let you down. And it doesn't work. There is a light this season, church, that is shining out of the darkness. And I believe what John said about Jesus is true, that it shines on everything. And every dark circumstance in your life and every secret scar you have hidden. 